Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. God bless you. It's good to be with you in this Christmas season. We're all decked out and ready for the holiday. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a beautiful holiday. And today I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the beauty that we look forward to in this season. Uh, and hey, I just wanted to say thank you for you as a church being such a great congregation and for uh, being with me on this journey. I'm reading about Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem, and I'm reading about Magi following a star, and uh, you and I are on a journey as well. You and I are on a journey following Jesus where he leads, and I'm thankful that you're on this uh, journey with me, and I think for, I'm thankful for the ways that you express it uh, because we, uh, you know, we're collecting toys to take down to Tijuana for a church network we work with down there for them to give out to kids in their neighborhood. And you just flooded uh, our two church campuses with toys in the last week. So I appreciate your graciousness for that. And I even saw this week on social media, I saw one of our uh, church members advertising. I didn't even know she was doing this. Uh, she says, hey, there's an orphanage I work with down in Mexico. If you want to donate clothes, I'm just going to run them down there. And, uh, and she just does that on her own. That's not us. Don't bring clothes to the church this week. That's not what I'm saying. But she just, of her own volition, uh, does this. And, uh, and I'm thankful that you're a church like that. I'm thankful that you have hearts for people outside of our doors and people in need and people who don't know Jesus. And uh, yeah, I'm thankful for you. So God bless you. Let's say a prayer and then let's get into our study of God's word this morning. Lord, I thank you that you love us and that you call us on this journey. You call us to follow you. I thank you that you put stars in front of us in the sky to tell us where to go, signs that call us to what's ahead. I pray that you would fill our lives with good adventures where we get to love other people in your name and see your kingdom spread and see the fruit of uh, your graciousness as we reach people uh, with the message of love and the name of Jesus. God bless our worship open our hearts and our minds that we might hear your word for our lives. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Hey, I want to read you another part of the Christmas story. I want to focus in on that light in the sky uh, that they were following. This is in Matthew chapter 2 at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, now Herod was put in place by Caesar. Caesar is the king over all of the Roman Empire. Judea is a little conquered people, and so Caesar puts in place Herod, king of the Jews, who's now middle management is what he is. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi is a word that in the ancient world only exists in one place. It's in the Zoroastrian scriptures. We translate it, uh, wise men in the King James Version, but it was not wise men. It was magicians, astrologers, uh, who had somehow conjured up uh, forces at work to, uh, to manipulate the world, and it's not at all someone who a good Jewish family would find acceptable to have at their uh, baby's birth. But here come the Magi from the East who came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And if you know the story, 
of the life of King Herod, you'll understand why all Jerusalem was disturbed when King Herod was disturbed. He was a terrible man and not someone whom you want to disturb. We'll get to that in a minute. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's from the prophet Micah. So hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, prophets were identifying the place of the birth of the Messiah. And there are dozens of prophecies like that in the Hebrew scriptures that are confirmed and fulfilled in miraculous ways in the life of Jesus. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Scholars like to speculate about what it was the Magi were following. And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but some of the greatest scientific minds in history, some of the ones that you learned about in high school, were actually devout Christians. Uh, when we talk about Galileo and Kepler and Newton, they were all devout Christians. I mean, they, they really immersed themselves in the Bible. Isaac Newton wrote more about theology than he ever wrote about science. Uh, and one of the things that the, the early scientists liked to do was to watch the stars and try to figure out how they were, how they were moving, wh where the earth sat in the galaxy. And, uh, and uh, uh, Kepler was one who speculated about the star that appeared over Christ's birth. So if you go back and read Johannes Kepler's speculation about the Christmas star, he had all kinds of uh, questions and ideas about what must have been going on in the sky that night to have summoned the Magi. So I got into this a little bit. I started researching this. This is fascinating. This is so interesting. I've never heard this before. Uh, what, what uh, some, uh, and part of this is Kepler's theory, but what some scholars think might have lined up that night was, was a, a, a number of different celestial bodies, a number of different stars lining up together to give the appearance of one larger bright star. And, and this is what they think might have happened. They might, th they think some, some think Venus, uh, which is already a bright star, uh, aligned with Jupiter, which is a, a larger planet, and, and those two aligned with a star called Regulus, which is in the constellation Leo and is often the brightest star in the night sky. And those three together would have aligned in a season right around the time of the turn of the millennium. They know that now studying the stars, when they would have lined up, those three could have been the celestial body. Here's what the Magi might have been doing. So, so Venus is named after one of the ancient Roman gods, and the ancient Roman gods would have referred to this as Venus. We use the same names now that they were using back in the time of Christ. Venus was the goddess of fertility and birth. Jupiter is named after the, the head of the Roman pantheon, right? The Greeks had Zeus, 
And when the Romans conquered Greece, they took the Greek gods and they changed their names, but it's the same one. Jupiter and Zeus are the same one. So Jupiter was the king of all the gods. And so in ancient Rome, they referred to the planet Jupiter as the king of the planets. And then Regulus is a star that's in the constellation Leo, Leo the lion. Now check this out. Venus is the star of the goddess of birth. Jupiter is the king of the planets, named after the king of the gods. Leo is a lion, and the lion was the symbol of Judea. Because it says in the book of Genesis that Judah would be uh, uh, the child of a lion. And in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. And so sometimes you'll see flags that represent Israel that have a lion on them. That became their their symbol that lasted uh, through the ages. So get this. If, If Venus and Jupiter and Regulus inside of Leo all lined up, that is the star that represents birth, the star that represents the king, and the... Uh, the constellation that represents the lion, which is Judah's symbol. So, born the king of the Jews. That's probably what the Magi were seeing. That's probably the logic that they used that brought them to King Herod to say, we've come to see the one who is born the king of the Jews, Venus, Jupiter, Leo. Um, That's a a little uh, uh, fascinating speculation from some of the early scientists uh, about what was going on that night. And we love to remember that star. It's in our manger scenes. Uh, we, we light our houses. Uh, my next door neighbors have decked out their house from top to bottom, and there's a giant Christmas star illuminating uh, all of the city uh, of Glendora. And, uh, and, and we love the beautiness. We, uh, the beautiness. We love the, the, the beauty of the, the, um, the lights of Christmas, right? Part of what we, we love about this season is the Christmas lights. Well, we're in a series of of teachings now called Remember Christmas. Because as I said last week, we forget the power of this holiday. It's become so familiar that we settle settle into it. And we we forget how, how truly contrary it was to the empire out of which it arose. And we love the beauty of Christmas. We love the lights and we love remembering the star. But we forget that it's against a dark background that that star shines. It's against the dark background of the eastern sky that 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 star shines out. And and we forget that the beauty of Christmas is not just that it's pretty. It's that we need its light to shine against the darkness of this world. If you want to remember the power of Christmas this year, remember not that we like Christmas, but that we need Christmas. I remember talking to a woman about uh, the Christian gospel, just the, the message overall, and, uh, and she was really hung up on the idea of God's judgment. She could not imagine a God who would be wrathful towards what she called all of his cute, adorable children. All of humanity, she said, were his cute, adorable children. She couldn't imagine a God who would be wrathful at these these cute, adorable babies of his. And realizing that she was referring to all humanity, I asked the most obvious of questions. I said, now when you you say you can't imagine God being angry at all of his cute, adorable children, meaning all of humanity, you know, like one of those cute, adorable children was Hitler, right? And another one was Napoleon, and one was Genghis Khan, one was 
Alexander the Great. Every, every great leader in history has just gone around trying to conquer the world, slaughtering people as he went. This is one of the cute, adorable children you're talking about, right? You can't imagine God being, being mad at that population. Well, uh, we, we forget the power of Christmas is not that it's pretty. The power of Christmas is that we need it. The light of Christmas shines against the darkness of this world. They knew it in the first century world. If you go back and look at the first century world, look at the life of King Herod, this this king at the time of Jesus' birth. He lived a horrible life. Uh, Augustus was Caesar. Augustus was the, the king over all the Roman Empire, and he put Herod in place to govern Judea. And as a middle manager, Herod's job was just to keep the people under control so that Rome could continue to take their taxes and conscript their sons into the army so Rome could conquer more provinces. Herod's job was to keep things quiet. You don't want Caesar's attention turned in your direction because you're not keeping things under control. And so about 40 years before the life of Jesus, when Rome made Herod the king of the Jews, the problem was they didn't control Jerusalem at that time. They they hadn't conquered it. And so they made Herod king of the Jews. And Herod would have said to the Caesar, we don't own Judea. And Caesar would have said, I think that's a you problem. And so Herod had to go in and conquer Jerusalem. And the way he did it was to build walls around the city, starve out everyone inside, and as they weakened, finally to bust their way in and kill people as they went. And that's exactly what Herod did. So in the time of Jesus, that's the king over Judea. That's the king whose throne is in Jerusalem, the holy city. They are being ruled by a king who has this history of having killed them to take control of them. That was actually... Uh, the first time Herod went in and conquered Jerusalem and beheaded the then sitting king of Judea. And that was the first time in Rome's history Rome had ever killed one of the kings of their conquered people. Rome actually was historically merciful once they conquered them. Herod went in and killed him anyway. Herod had lived a terrible life. He ended up killing his wife, his mother-in-law, and three of his sons because he feared that they were a threat to his power. You may think you had a hard time with your family at Thanksgiving dinner. It could be a lot worse. So this is the, this is the world into which the Messiah is born. They are waiting for one who will be their king, who will finally bring God's peace to the earth. And it is against the darkness of Herod's rule that the light shines, that that Christmas star pierces the darkness of their world. We forget that. We in our comfortable homes and our peaceful society forget this is a dark and broken world. The Gospel of John begins referring to the light as well. I, it's, it's a slightly different light, but it's all, it's all interwoven. The Gospel of John begins not by telling the Christmas story, but by describing in philosophical terms the arrival of God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and nothing that has been made was made without him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is John's Christmas star. John is remembering the the creation in Genesis where God spoke and there was light. At the birth of Jesus, light came into a dark world. 
and the darkness has, has never overcome it. We bristle at the thought of a God who would judge humanity. It's a scary thought. It doesn't seem fair. But what a dark world Jesus was born into. We forget it when we're comfortable and safe, but you don't have to look far to see how bad it can get. Real Life Church has been helping with uh, migrant kids who have shown up unaccompanied at our southern border and who have been housed in the Pomona Fairplex. At one point, there were a couple thousand children living in there without parents. They show up at the United States border with maybe a phone number of a distant relative living in the United States, and they're they're told, "Go, go and find them. And in order to get here, they walked here from Central America, from Honduras and Guatemala. That is a more than 2,000-mile journey. That's, they, that's 76 marathons they've crossed to get here, unaccompanied by their parents. And some, some early studies suggest about half the girls who made it here were raped on the journey. There are criminals who know the pathway that the migrants take, and they wait for them along the way. Can you imagine what must be going on in a place that would make a parent put a child on that molten lava of a path to get them here? There must be parents thinking that abuse and death with the hope of survival is better than abuse and death with no hope. It is a dark world into which the Messiah came. And if if we want to remember Christmas well, we need to remember why we have Christmas. We have Christmas because we need a Savior. It's not all just pretty lights and nostalgia, gingerbread lattes and family gatherings, Christmas carols and cookies. We need a Messiah in a dark world. We need the light of Christmas. But the gospel promises that light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. You all have taken part in, in spreading Jesus' light to the world. We're, we're taking uh, toys down to Tijuana. We've got a, another week to bring them in if you haven't brought them in already, and we're going to take them down there. There's a, a church planting network. If you've been around real life, uh, you know that this is the case. There's a church planting network. This pastor down there decided that in a decade, he was going to plant 50 churches, and I think he's on number 48 or 49 now. And as he got close to the number 50, he goes, okay, not 50, 500. So now he wants to plant 500 churches down there. And we went down there and built one of the pastor's houses. What he does is he gets a property, and he builds a house, and he builds a church, and he builds the pastor's house next to it. And then he takes one of the Uh, guys who's uh, volunteering in one of his already existing churches, and he makes him the pastor of that church. And and that that pastor then starts a new church there. And now there's 49 or so of them. And they have... Uh, They have a a community center, uh, which we've used as a dorm when we go down to help build houses. You can put up a house on a weekend. And as we've gone down there, uh, that community center reaches all the neighborhoods around it. And those toys that you've brought to our church is going to go down there so that that church church and that community center can give out toys to all the kids in their neighborhood so that the kids in those neighborhoods know that the church is good. Now, you may not know that. Now, you may not know this. Um, but that, that network of churches then uh, does something 
does something with the things we take them as well. I was talking to one of the pastors when I was down there last time, and they take their, their goods and resources, food that they have, gifts that we give them, and they travel further south into poorer and more rural parts of Mexico. And they do ministry with people who have even less than they do. If you've never been down to Tijuana, it, it's such a contrast to where we live. I mean, the, the, roads are, the roads are dirt. There aren't street signs. There's often not running water. Big trucks come by and fill up barrels with water, and that's what they have to bathe and cook with. And they take what we share with them into even poorer places and give it away. They don't do that because they're enlightened rationalists who believe that the world is going to get better through the light of reason. They do that because they know Jesus. And they know his light shines in a dark world. You and I get to take part in spreading Jesus' light in this world, in this dark world that needs a Savior. You and I get to be the ones to say, I know who he is. I've met him. I've seen his star, and I've gone to follow him. Let me tell you who he is. And I want you to take part in this ministry of making Jesus' light known. If you want to do that, if you want your life to make a difference in the world in a way that lasts for eternity, there's just two things I want you to do. First, you have to make the decision that you actually need Christmas. Not just that you like it, not just that it's pretty, but that you need it. You need to come to the point where you kneel in prayer and say to Jesus, I've brought enough brokenness into the world on my own, and I'm tired of doing that. I can't do this on my own. So forgive those paths that I've walked down that I shouldn't and put me on right and good paths and put your life in his hands. If you've never done it before, you can do it right now. And for you, eternity starts now. Now's the time that you step into the light and begin to make his light known. And then secondly, in this year to come, Come and join us and help us make Jesus' light known in the world. Whether you're bringing toys for Tijuana or if you want to go down with us, we're going to plan another mission trip to go down and build either a church or a pastor's house down there in this coming year. Come do it with us. Or, or go, and, go and do it in your neighborhood. You know people in desperate need around you right now. Be Jesus to them. Take his word to the people who live next door to you, who go to your school, who work in your business. God has placed you as a missionary where you are. Or, or come help us this, this coming January, we're going to bring back a ministry that we used to do before the pandemic called Alpha. Alpha is this, uh, this ministry where we, we uh, use the Frisella's restaurant over here in Glendora, and we offer, on Monday nights, we offer a free dinner for whoever wants to come. They come in and have a great meal together, and then we uh, show videos that are incredibly well-made asking questions about what life is for and who Jesus is and why anybody should consider the gospel again. And, and at that ministry, dramatic things have happened. When we first offered it, I wasn't sure it would even work. I wasn't sure it would take off. And 
first time we did it, the restaurant packed out, and at about 11 p.m., we had to kick everybody out to get them to stop chit-chatting. But they, they watched these videos, and they loved to have conversations about what the message meant to them. And there was one story in particular that I will never forget. There was a young guy in his probably 20s who came to Alpha, and he lived kind of a, a rough life, but he came one night and joined in on our table conversations, and his table leader that night asked him, do you feel like Jesus is for you? And he said, yeah, he's, he's come to that, that place where he's decided to make a turn. His exact words, I remember, were, I was lost, but now I'm found. The next week, he came back. He didn't look good. His skin was pale, and he looked a little sick, and he was moving slow. And fortunately, the people at his table had the good sense to say, you know, you probably should go to the hospital. You don't, you don't look good. And so he did. He went to the hospital that night and checked himself in. And later that same night, he died. There was something wrong in his organs and his body had just had a, a rough go of it through this life. And he didn't go any further than that. But it was just a, a week before that at Alpha that he had decided to make that decision to call Jesus his Lord. It was a, a late decision, but it's never too late. It's never too late to say, Jesus, I think you know more about life than I do. I'm going to do it on your terms instead of mine. And it's never too late to take part in making the light of God known in a dark world. As we enter this Christmas season, celebrate with the lights, decorate, have parties with your friends, do whatever it is you do. But if you really want to remember the power of Christmas, don't forget that it is in our brokenness that the light of Christ shines. When we turn to Jesus, Jesus loves us. It's like this. Jesus loves us in, in a way that we don't deserve because we don't want it. Um, it's, it's not when we're fixed, it's when we're broken that he loves us. It's, it's not when we come home, it's when we're running away that he loves us. It's, it's not when we apologize, it's when we're in open rebellion against him that he loves us. Uh, it's like this. Um, there's a new resident in, in my house. Um, about a year ago, my kids started asking, can we get a cat? And I said, no, I'm allergic. I don't want a cat. And after about six months, I'd, uh, I'd ask my wife, I'd say, uh, eh, cats are kind of cute, aren't they? And she'd say, no. And I thought, yeah, no, no, they're not cute. I don't know why I even asked that. And I started to think in my mind, only if a cat shows up on the doorstep will I take it in. We're not going and getting a cat. And it better be a kitten too. Better be a cute little kitten on my doorstep. And a couple of weeks ago, I woke up early in the morning and I heard the sound of a cat. And it sounded like it was out on the front doorstep. And as I got out of bed, I thought, this is the one. It's going to be the, the cat that I was thinking about out on the front doorstep. And sure enough, uh, up under the hood of my wife's car, a tiny little gray and white kitten had climbed up to sleep on the engine because it was the only warm place it could find. And when I opened the hood, it was starving and angry and afraid, and it hissed at me. And when I reached for it, it drew blood. And when I, I went to try to grab it, it jumped down and started to run away. 
But I remember thinking, wait a minute, I decided if a kitten showed up on the doorstep, I was keeping it. This is our kitten. And so I chased it through the neighbor's lawn and the neighbors helped me uh, uh, capture it and bring it home. And, uh, and now we have a new resident in our house who for some reason I'm not allergic to. This is how Jesus loves us. It is when we are hissing and angry at him. It is when we are clawing at him and trying to get away. It is when we are most openly rebelling against us that he loves us with all of his heart. It is in our darkness that his light shines, not because we deserve it, not because we have sufficiently repented, not because we've asked for it, but because his love comes first. And if you have lived a dark and broken life and you know you are sick of it, he loved you before you turned to him. All you have to do now is say yes. Just let him take you home and provide for you and care for you and let his light shine in your darkness. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you love us when we have nothing to show for it and don't deserve it and didn't earn it and haven't asked for it. I thank you that your light is brighter than our darkness. So we ask now, free us from the darkness that we've lost ourselves in. Free us from the the things that we've committed to and become addicted to that aren't good for us. Set us free to walk in the light. If there's anybody out there listening right now who's who's never prayed this for the first time, we pray, Jesus, come into our hearts, forgive our sins, teach us to follow you in obedience, teach us to live holy for you, and may your light shine through us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.